produced at the studios of KBOO Radio in Portland, Oregon. This is Free Culture Radio. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. My name is Monty Knudsen. Uh, I have the honor of being the executive director over at Bridges to Change. And Bridges to Change is a nonprofit that was founded in 2004 by a husband and wife, uh, previously incarcerated folks who wanted to help people get out of prison and, and help them re-enter into the world. And so they started Bridges as a way to offer housing and peer recovery mentor support. And that has grown into the organization that we are today. Now, how did you get involved in um, how did you get involved in 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 social services and and in well in recovery generally? Yeah, I mean my uh, my story in short is I spent about twenty or so years in addiction. Uh, I started at the age of sixteen as a Portland street kid. Um, I'm going to be fifty two, so late eighties, um, and uh, became addicted to drugs on the street and kind of living that lifestyle and ended up living that lifestyle for many years until I was 30 in and out of the criminal justice system. I have about 25, 26 arrest cycles um, through the Tri-County here in Portland, Oregon. Um, And a total of almost 10 years of that was incarcerated. And so many attempts to find recovery, but I never found the support I needed in prison because it wasn't really offered. Um, And the very last time I was paroled in 2005, I was lucky to be paroled to a pilot program in Washington County that offered a peer recovery mentor that would be attached to my caseload and uh, drug and alcohol free housing along with outpatient treatment. And that peer recovery mentor really uh, changed my life. His name's Doug Van Zant. He currently works for Clackamas County. And he really showed me about, you know, what it was to be in recovery and got me to meetings and showed me community and got me my first job. He did all the things that I didn't know how to do as a person uh, releasing from prison. And about a year and a half later, he called me up one day and he's like, hey, Monta, I just got a job with this new organization called Bridges to Change, and I'm their new program manager for their first program in Clackamas County. Would you like to come be a uh, recovery mentor like I was for you, helping guys uh, get out of prison? And I said, yes. And so I became a a peer recovery mentor for Bridges to Change in 2008. Um, And since then, I worked in many roles in the organization for five years. I moved on to Volunteers of America, Oregon for another five years as I was going to school, becoming a drug and alcohol counselor, but ended up in leadership roles in most of my positions in this work. And in 2015, the founders, Chuck and Joanne, retired, and I was hired as the new executive director of Bridges to Change. And so that's uh, my short version of the story. Uh, uh, My story um, carries great weight in my life and my experience and my work here at Bridges to Change really interacts with my own personal recovery and and how I live my life today. When you have a unique perspective, having seen Bridges from the very early days and um and being where you know what uh, tell me about the organization now what uh, what do y'all do yeah so we do a lot more than just um 
housing uh, and peer services, but housing and peers are definitely the core of our work here at Bridges to Change. Uh, but we also provide addictions and mental health outpatient services across the Tri-County and in the Dallas, Oregon. And so we, we really focus on the idea of wraparound services where folks are not only addressing uh, social determinants of health like housing, but we're pairing them with people with lived experience who have been there that can help them find their way, just like Doug helped me. And then along with our clinical services, which is a big part of what we do as well, addressing folks' um, addiction and um, mental health uh, challenges. So really wrapping all those services into one, trying to help folks from you know all different points of their life. Um could you go a little more in depth on mentoring? That's something that, I mean, I heard about it from a business perspective, and I was honestly never really sure what in the world it really meant. And I, now decades later, I think I'm starting to get a vague idea. But so what is, what is mentoring about? How does that work? Yeah. So when you think about, you know, really in all sectors of life, you know, from business folks, there, people are looking for people who know about the thing they want to do and they're gaining experience from it coaches consultants right so mentors addiction mentors peer recovery mentors um, they are crucial to being able to build rapport build trust in a population that has you know been deeply traumatized to help move them through the next stage of their life and when you have a, a recovery mentor that's saying, hey, listen, I've been there. I was in prison five years ago and I can show you what worked for me and we can find what works for you. It's powerful. You know, there's a saying in recovery, it says the therapeutic value of one addict helping another is without parallel, right? And so it is absolutely um, germane to help setting the course on folks finding the freedom that they're searching for. And that and peer recovery services that are that are also um, kind of matched up with the clinical care that they're going to need, along with housing support, employment support. It's really a it's really a a wraparound approach. But peers, the peer workforce right now is really at the core of a lot of different uh, supports that are happening within organizations like mine. I want to ask you about some of the other stuff you do, but um, but you mentioned Wasco County, and um, and uh, I mean I know that services can be hard to access. Um, that's I mean it's Oregon ranks so very low among the various states on uh, on these things, and um, and uh, it has for for years for years and years. Um, I know it's tough enough to access those sorts of services in the Tri County area in a in a metropolitan area like Portland, but out the rural areas, that's that's got to be tough. Yeah, it's very difficult. You know, we had a phone call. I received a phone call from Wasco County about four years ago, really asking like, how do we get services to Wasco County? Um, rural areas are deeply underfunded and under-resourced. And when you think about the Portland metro areas where, where we have funding, but we, you know, we have um, the scale of the work that needs to be done here is so large. It's the challenge in and of itself where, where in rural areas, it's more difficult because you got to get the workforce. Also, you don't have the resources to get it done. And so 
we made a, a concerted effort to really focus on how to get services out to the DAOs. Um, and we did that through, you know, obviously the support of some county funds. And then as Measure 110 passed, we really focused on how can we use um, this decrim measure to not only support the work that decrim needs to do, but also support the work that and the support that, um, in this case, Wasco County needed. And we were able to do that. So now let's ask about it. Measure 110, the Drug Addiction Treatment Recovery Act. Um, what kind of impact has that been having on your work? Well, it's kind of twofold, Doug. <laughs> the positive impact for the organization is, of course, we get to expand services. Um, the launching of M110 and all the the media on it, the media on it has been challenging. Uh, and the funding just got out the door only 12 months ago, right? Even though the measure passed, you know, is it almost three years now? I, I, I think so. So the the need to stand up bridges, we've, so uh, our contracts for M110 is in all four counties we're in, Multnomah, Clackamas, Washington, and, and Wasco County. And with our funding from M110, we were able to expand 232 supportive housing beds and about 60 new staff to support those housing beds, expand our treatment continuum. Um, and within Bridges the Change, since we also provide outpatient treatment, we're able to pair our housing with clinical care. So folks that um, need also that clinical care as well as housing support can get both their needs met. Oh, and obviously peer mentors are a big part of that, that staffing pattern throughout the county. So for us to be able to, and, and we procured our last home, we do mostly home style living, group living about a month and a half ago to be able to, to secure 238 beds was, was difficult, but we did it in a year. A handful of those beds are actually being developed and built, but most of those um, are up and running, probably 75% of those. So big deal for us. The challenge, the other challenge part that I'll just throw this out there is the amount of work as the CEO of Bridges the Change and the pushback, not only through legislative session, community partners, the rhetoric around decrim um, and this misconception that the criminal justice approach is the right approach has taken a um, probably 70, 60 to 70% of my time in the last two years, which really takes away from strategic leadership in the organization to push, um, to push our mission forward. And so I'm lucky enough to have a great executive team who's moving our operations along, but not everybody has that. And so, um, you know, it's a give and take, you know, we, it's great. M110 is here and we're, and we're, and we're doing what we said we would do with it. And we're constantly guarding, fighting, pushing back against threats to, to funding and the measure itself. There are some who are quite insistent that services should not be given to people until they are um, until they have stopped using all substances entirely. Um, what what would you say to those sorts of folks? I've been, you know, talking about this for a while in all parts of the community, the left side of the aisle, the right side of the aisle. And it's really about just educating folks who really don't understand 
how we got here. And I try to take us back or try to um, educate around what the war on drugs has really done to this country. And when we think about 50 years of disinvestment, the mass incarceration that's happened since the 80s and throughout time to now, um, we've really done a disservice by not allowing access to care. Oregon, as you mentioned, being ranked almost dead last or last in the country to access to care. So what we need and what we know works is rapid access, which means when someone's ready, we need to have care for them set up. Not a wait list for tomorrow or next week. Like we need to have a door ready for them right now. We're, we're not there yet. We are working on it, uh, but we need to be there. We can't wait for people to get well. It's like going to the hospital. You wait, it's like, don't go see your doctor till you're well. No, you go see the doctor when you're sick. It's the same thing. And these are seemingly simple concepts. The other thing I wanted to call out, Doug, is that what a lot of folks don't realize <clears throat> is in 2019, prior to COVID, organizations like mine were already backlogged. Our wait lists were long. We are underfunded, under-resourced, and we are just keeping afloat. And when COVID hit, we shut down for the most part, like everybody else. Organizations were trying to figure out how to serve people during COVID. And what happened was the whole system just blew up, right? And so what we see today, not only in Portland, you can look around, I was just in Seattle, uh, you can look around in any major city is we see the impact of 50 years of disinvestment um, because of the war on drugs. And there's no there's no easy fix for it. It's not gonna be fixed tomorrow. It's not gonna be fixed next year or the year after. This is gonna take long-term systemic change investment in this country to treat addiction as a public health issue and not a criminal justice issue. This is my conversation with Monta Knutson, executive director of the Portland area nonprofit Bridges to Change. We'll have more in a moment. You're listening to Free Culture Radio. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. Welcome back. Now let's hear the second half of my conversation with Monta Knudsen, Executive Director of Bridges to Change. One of the, some of the services you provide include housing um, and um, in low barrier housing. And what is what is stabilization housing? What is low barrier? What are the, what are these concepts? Yeah, so we have different. Uh, our housing continuum is has a few models. M one ten has allowed us to expand a stabilization model that wasn't in existence in the way that it is today because of M110 and the flexibility. When you think about stabilization and low barrier housing, it allows rapid access when someone needs it. So maybe they're still using, and they are. We're gonna get them into housing, we're gonna deal with safety issues, and we're gonna try to um, get them into a safe place, right? So stabilization allows us to do that. It allows us to staff the housing sites appropriately 24 seven. So we can take folks that are high, higher acuity and might be higher risk when you think about um, security issues, right? You know, we wanna keep our house safe. You know, people that are in the midst of using can make poor choices uh, because of that. So we need to have the right staffing patterns to, to support them through their choices is what we like to call it. So um, M110 has allowed us to do that across 
across the Tri-County, which has been great. One of the things that people express is they have a hard time reconciling the idea of harm reduction and support services with the idea of recovery, that somehow um, that somehow they don't understand how you could be in recovery if you're also receiving um, harm reduction services and support services, um, that, that, that you have to be done with the one before you can start down that journey. Um, yeah, could you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, recovery and treatment is a dynamic process. And we have to be able to meet people where they're at. If that's from a harm reduction approach and we move them along to other stages of their recovery, that's fine. At the end of the day, Doug, we're just trying to keep people alive. When you think of harm reduction, we don't know when that person is going to be in a position to make the choices and with the support to make choices because of the support they're getting to move them along um, in their recovery process. So we need all tools at our disposal to help people stay alive and then to help guide them on a path that is going to work for them. And so it's a it's part of the recovery treatment process. Um, recovery is not only 12 step apps, you know, abstaining from all drugs, right? It's a it's a dynamic process and individuals are going through their process in different ways and we need to be able to support them where they're at. Well, and even within the 12 step, I think that it, people understand that it is possible. People do slip. You know, we don't throw and we don't throw people in jail just because they ended up at the corner bar because things got too weird. Yeah, I mean, we're all humans, right? Life is a big slip <laughs> for everybody, not only with addiction, right? We're always uh it's 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 our process as humans to to struggle and, and do the things and so uh we what we say in in recovery is we don't shoot our wounded we pick them up and support them the best that we can i want to ask you about the pdx recovery film festival i was looking through your website bridges to change.com very nice website by the way um and uh this uh pdx recovery film festival what tell me about this yeah, this will be our third annual event. This is our main event for Bridges to Change. Um, the first year we did it virtually. Last year we did it at Revolution Hall, and we'll be redoing that again at Revolution Hall. So what we've decided to do is um, bring filmmakers uh, from around the world together, and they. I think we're going through 300 short film submissions right now. We'll narrow that down to about 15 or 20, I think. Um, it's going to be October 1st at Revolution Hall at 3 p.m. It's going to be a matinee. Folks can go on our website and look up uh, bridgestochange.com, or they can also search PDX Recovery Film Festival and get the details uh, for, for all the information. But it's a real way for storytelling around addiction and mental health. And so you get to see these stories being told by the filmmaker um, from a lot of different countries. It was a it was a great event last year. We're really looking forward to um, to raising awareness uh, and providing that again this year. You know, you just reminded me the um, you Bridges to Change does work with um, with mental health services and as well as um, um, substance use treatment. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. So we have mental health peers, mental health clinicians, just like we have the our addiction. 
peers and our addictions cl clinicians as well. So our peers are folks with lived experience that have um, gone through their own mental health uh, walk and they've on their own path of recovery. A lot of folks are co-occurring, you know, they both have addiction and mental health, you know, it's very common. So, so yeah, so we provide both housing and services for both addiction and mental health. What have I not asked that I should have? I mean, I think as it relates to Measure 110 for our community, we need time to assess the impact of how this is working. What folks don't understand is the money just went out the door 12 months ago. We're talking standing up $280 million in services across the state. It's taken us a year to strategically launch all those services. And we're in phase three of that right now where we're doing the last part of that. So then it's going to take a year for organizations to collect, to really start looking at data, right? So I guess for the community to understand it, it's going to take time to analyze this. We want to see the impact of it as well. We want to be able to shift course in areas we think we need to shift course on. But, you know, 50 years of disinvestment because of the war on drugs, we're asking, give us a few years to really put this to work um, and to uh, get the results that we know can come from expanding rapid access to care, um, which M110 is doing. I would also like to kind of note that M110 is not the silver bullet for the failed behavioral health system, right? It's a small amount of money when you look at the larger system, you got Medicaid money that's paying for residential treatment and all these other types of treatment. Uh, I think our governor is right on point, um, Governor Kotech. She's got a great plan. Um, and we will see the behavioral health system start to get reorganized. Uh, and hopefully that's happening as great work as the great work of M110 is happening as well. So M110 is not the silver bullet to fix the broken system. It's a small part of, of addressing access issues, but it is not uh, responsible for fixing the broken system. I mean, the folks that I've talked to that have gone through our services um, have said that M110 has been a pathway to find the help that they needed, right? That didn't exist before. A lot of grants and funding are very targeted towards specific groups. M110 allows anybody to walk in the door. Um, and so it the way that we set our be, set up our behavioral health resource networks, which is part of M110 is that there's no wrong door. So we're in a couple burns is what we call them with multiple other organizations and we all have our funding. We're not the other, one of the uh, um, unintended consequences of procurement and contracting it, it is it pins nonprofits against each other because we're all going after the same money. M110 allowed us to come together and build what we thought would be best. So we all got together and said, okay, Quest Center, you're going to do this. It sounds like you're better at that. Bridges is going to do this. Miracles Club, this. Instituto Latinos, this. So we all work together to create this. So when someone comes to Bridges and we're like, hey, you know what? I think 
Instituto Latino would have better services for you. Would you like to learn about them? And they're like, yeah, that seems like a better fit. Then we get them over there to that organization, right? So there's no wrong door. And it's broken down that silo of like, oh, I need this individual for my grant, right? A lot of people don't understand how kind of all that works. So M110 has allowed us to really partner in a way to not only expand services, but work together to get people into the door that's going to benefit them the most. And they're less afraid and they're willing to come in the door. Um, do you have a, do you have some closing thoughts for our listeners? And again, folks, we're speaking with Monica Knudsen, the executive director of Bridges to Change. I mean, just back on M110, you know, I just try to say things to educate people is a lot of folks don't understand, like our criminal justice system, people are probably not aware that Oregon is short 200 criminal defense attorneys. The police short force is short officers. So when we look around the streets of Portland and we blame this on the decrim of drug possession, it's really a greater failed system right now. Officers are not dealing with low level possessions anyway. And what folks also don't know is like if the, if decrim didn't happen, if someone gets arrested for and I've been arrested 20 something times, I know back in the day you get arrested for only possession, you get booked and released because it's just a possession. So people think, they think that people are like, if decrim was reversed, that people are gonna somehow disappear into the criminal justice system. They're gonna, for, for only a possession. I'm not counting other crimes, right? It's, it's, it's a cycle, it's a book and release, right? It does nothing, it does nothing. Um, and so um, the system wasn't working before and we don't have to think too hard about it because we can look back at 50 years and be like, oh, it, I guess it didn't work because here we are. So why are we why are we thinking if we go back to the thing we know didn't work is going to work? <laughs> it's, it's crazy making. But people are, you know, pushed with fear. And I understand I'm in a safe neighborhood, too. I grew up on these streets running amok. So I get it. I understand it. But it's not M110's fault that the streets seem a little out of place right now. <laughs> I think there's the advantage of having a lo- of having a long memory. You were you grew up here. I was I I worked here in the mid 80s uh, the yeah. from the marijuana initiative. I remember this place. I'm not sure what I'm not sure what 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 sort of Mayberry RFD vision some of these some of these other news outlets seem to have about Portland's past, but I don't seem to remember it being. Uh, it, 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 yeah, it's always been it's it's been a city for the it's a city. What do you want? Yeah. The the last thing I'd say, Doug, is that we have always been here. The difference is prior to COVID. It was mostly in black and brown communities and very poor parts of town, right? So it wasn't impacted by more affluent neighborhoods. And this is on the left side and the right side. Now that it's in more white affluent neighborhoods, it's this giant problem. And it's like, well, welcome to reality. This has been here, but it's been mostly impacting black and brown communities and poor communities. So, um, the last thing that I say to folks, it's like, we get to sit with the choices that we've made in this country. And we have to work as a community to address the long game here. It's the long game. And I'm sorry if it's uncomfortable for you, but it's been uncomfortable for small, poor, black and brown communities for years.
That was my conversation with Monda Knudsen, Executive Director of the Portland Area nonprofit Bridges to Change. Find them on the web at bridgestochange.com. And finally, August 31st is International Overdose Awareness Day. You can find information about International Overdose Awareness Day at the website overdoseday.com. That's overdoseday.com. And for now, that's it. Thank you for joining us. This has been Free Culture Radio. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. I thank my guest, Monica Knudsen, and Bridges to Change. Many thanks to everyone out there fighting for civil rights, human rights, and social justice. And thanks especially to you, dear listener, for your support. You make it all worth it. We'll be back in a month to continue our examination of drugs, drug cultures, and the influence of drugs on society. Thanks again for listening. This is Doug McVeigh saying so long. So long. Oh, my God.